Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteemed Logic, an information technology consulting and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Hello, hello, hello. We are back with another episode of Get Found, Get Funded. And I am Zena Island, one of the show's co-hosts, and I can't wait to discuss today's theme, which is how do you redirect activities after a potential lead investor goes in a different direction? Hmm, as you can tell, we covered quite a bit in this chat. So let me introduce to you this week's guest. Kina McAllister, the founder of Stembox, uh, which is a monthly subscription box that makes STEM fun and accessible to girls ages 7 through 12. In case you don't know what STEM means, STEM stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. Kina founded Stembox after working as a researcher at Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center, and she has a passion for contributing to current fields of scientific research and empowering young girls to explore STEM. Kina, I am super excited to have you on the show today. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Great. So, Kina, as a person who wanted to stay away from all fields related to STEM, <laughs> I wish I had known you during my college years. So, and you would have made my father so much happier because he's an engineer. I'm going to start with your story because it's so inspiring. And can you tell us a little bit more about your journey for creating Stembox? Definitely. Um, so, this started as a passion of mine. I had gone through my education in undergrad focusing on science. And I wanted to move into research because I knew that was the way I could best improve the world around me. And for some reason, that turned out to be a lot harder than I thought it should have been for someone just trying to get their foot in the door. Um, so I went through a lot of experiences, some, some really shocking ones and some not so shocking. Um, but ultimately, it just opened my eyes to the kind of you know hurdles women have to face and people of color or minorities have to face that's a lot different than say you know white guys who are the stereotype of scientists have to face getting into the field so i ended up getting into a research job at fred hutch which was my dream come true but even there you know there are nuanced situations that make it difficult for women to see themselves continuing in the field um so all of that combined my personal experience my experience um talking to other women about what happened to them led me to create Stembox. And the idea behind Stembox is we want girls to create an emotional connection to STEM. We want them to have something to think back on and say, I belong here because I've been doing it since I was seven or 12. 
and they stick with it when the going gets tough. So um, that's kind of the reason it started. I started testing boxes at home. It went well. We had a Kickstarter campaign that got fully funded, and from there we got really good press from people like Melinda Gates and MCB News, and it really set us up for a great launch in January 2016. We've been shipping since then. You've been running Stembox successfully for two years now, and like many entrepreneurs looking for funding, you began to seek a second round of funding to help you scale and expand. Unfortunately, a potential lead investor for your second round decided to go in a different direction. So naturally, you had to readjust your strategy. Before the holidays, you decided to focus your attention on sales. Can you give us a brief overview of what happened and how you redirected your attention? Definitely. When I moved, so part of the journey for Stembox is we moved from Seattle, Washington to Des Moines, Iowa in August. And when I moved here, one of the things I was really looking forward to was working with investors who are very familiar and comfortable with physical retail products. It's a very physical state, you know, tractors, corn, livestock. And so I jumped right in, and I was actually asked to pitch to a group basically in my third or second month there, um, September about. And I was really encouraged by this, and we did the pitch. And when I say we, I mean I. And got past the pitch point. They wanted to move into due diligence, and we started going into that. And we were in due diligence for a while. And what ended up happening during that time is other investors from the area started to hear about the deal and were interested, but they were smaller angels than this just big group. And what ended up happening is the group in the due diligence who was set to lead if they had invested pulled out. They decided we weren't a good fit for them, which is fine. But it definitely had a lot of repercussions with my other potential investors, essentially chain reaction, making it a much less attractive deal because if they weren't going to invest and there was no lead investor, a lot of the smaller deals fell through. Um, that was pretty difficult for uh, me as an entrepreneur moving to a new place and trying to set up a new team here and my new fulfillment center. And now I had to decide, do I pursue that funding or do I just switch and focus on my sales? Yeah, so Kina, this is Christina. And so first of all, congrats on your move from Seattle to Iowa. Um, I know that moves in general can be challenging. And so, you know, personally and then professionally. So it's great that you were able to adjust and, you know, really look at your team uh, uh, structure as well as the distribution center. And now it looks like you've got to kind of take a step back and look at how you want to move forward with sales and restructuring the company, especially with the unfortunate news of the, um, you know, not getting the funding. So what we want to do today is really explore some of the areas you mentioned and kind of act as your restart triage team, right, and help you tackle some of the critical areas that have impacted um, your move forward uh, based on the funding challenge. And to help us, we invited our guest expert, Allison Wilson. Allison is a communications and public relations professional with extensive experience in developing and implementing successful, proactive, and reactive media relations campaigns, digital marketing communications initiatives, integrated consumer engagement programs, and community re relations projects. Allison is currently 
the Vice President of Media Relations at Weber Shanwick, where she develops and manages strategic, national, and regional integrated media strategies for a variety of consumer and corporate clients, including Anheuser-Busch, Aldi, Bank of America, and a variety of Nestle brands. Allison also serves as the Executive Director of the ColorCom Los Angeles Network. ColorCom is an essential organization for women of color in all areas of communications, including public relations, corporate communications, advertising, print media, broadcast, and digital. Welcome to the show, Allison. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Kina, let's um, jump in and talk about maximizing your online ads. This is Aurelia, and what I do you know, with my day job is really use a lot of Facebook ad campaigns and so forth. So they are such a great tool for entrepreneurs, and they allow you to target audiences and so forth. Tell me a little bit about how you've used your Facebook ad campaign in the past, and we'll talk about some you know, high-level things to keep in mind when we're doing Facebook ad strategies and also maybe some specific things that are you know, relevant to your spe- spe- yeah, situation. For sure. Um, when I started on Facebook, it was purely exploratory for me and the company, so I spent a lot of money and time developing audiences that I thought would drive a lot of clicks our website and therefore convert at some point down the funnel. I did this for a while and was seeing some of that traction, but I don't think it was converting at quite the level that I hoped it would. Um, Number one, I had a hard time tracking those conversions if they were happening for purely technical reasons. Um, We have Google Analytics set up on our website, but for whatever reason, it's not attributing, in my opinion, the appropriate number of sales to Facebook. It could be that it's not working or we're just not targeting the right people on the audiences we're looking at. And the second thing I've started to think about is more about my funnel and the different spending campaigns that I can really focus on those different parts of the funnel. So in our holiday season, we tried looking at the top tier of the funnel and we used an audience that was a lookalike audience for our purchase customers in the last, I think it was 30 days. And then a step down, we went to the interest section of the funnel, and we started offering a 5% discount for customers, um, well, not customers, people who had visited the site in a certain amount of days. And the last narrowest part of the funnel would be our capture and our close. And we were looking to capture people who had added to their cart in a certain amount of days past and offering them a 10% discount to come back and finish their sale with us. And that's a newer strategy that we've been implementing and learning from. And that's kind of where I'm headed in my Facebook marketing direction right now. Yeah, that's great. So I think you've, you know, hit some of the really key points. Um, For those who aren't familiar with Facebook ads generally, let me give a little bit of an overview. So Facebook has this really unique algorithm. And part of the point for running Facebook ad campaigns is we're training the Facebook algorithm within a particular ad account to go out and find ideal clients for that ad account. And so that's what you were talking about doing, right, Kina, is you're trying to go and target people who you believe will become subscribers of yours, right? So you're going out and getting Mm -hmm. awareness and getting in front of them and so on and so forth, which is great because once you have that asset, right, that trained algorithm within your Facebook ad account that goes out and finds people to for you, it's kind of like turning on a money faucet, which is really cool. 
and you have to be able to train that algorithm properly. And so that's where the tricky part comes in, right? Um, and so one of the things that's really important is to distinguish between different types of campaigns. So for example, a link click campaign or a page post engagement campaign is telling Facebook you want to do a certain kind of thing, right? If you're, if you're running a page post engagement campaign, you're simply telling Facebook, go find me people who are gonna like or share or comment on this post. But it's not telling Facebook, go find me people who are gonna buy. Whereas if you're running a conversion campaign, you're saying, look, I want these people to do a specific type of thing. And so certainly we can talk more, you know, outside of the show about what those campaigns that you had set up were intending to do. But if you haven't set up the campaign properly, then it won't be able to track those, those actions because you haven't yet told Facebook, here's what, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, um, find me people who are going to do these specific things and you're going to track those specific things. And then part of what Facebook, um, the backend of Facebook tool set does is it allows you to place pixels on those different actions so that then Facebook can follow those things. So just some, a little bit of overview there, things that probably Kina already knows, but maybe not all of our listeners do. Um, and then you, you talked about doing a lookalike audience, which is brilliant. And I, it's certainly something I tell everybody to do to the extent they can. And you can because you have people who ha- are already subscribers. And so certainly your strongest lookalike audience is going to be people who have already purchased from you, which is great. And so you want to then get in front of those folks. So what a lookalike audience is, is it is <clears throat> basically uploading into Facebook a list of people that you think that have done things that you want them to do and then Facebook will go and use all of the data points that it collects on all of the two billion users of Facebook and put together a list of people that it believes are similar to that audience and so and get in front of those folks and then just really quickly I'll touch on the retargeting campaigns which again Kina you said you did and really important most people leave money on the table if they're not doing retargeting campaigns And a retargeting campaign, and probably everyone here has been um, a recipient, or maybe you want to say a victim of those kinds of campaigns. Facebook scams. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) You know, and what that means is you kind of, you hit a website or you hit a landing page, and then you leave, and the campaign then goes after you and says, hey, would you like to come back? Please come back. And in Kina's case, she said, hey, you looked at Stembox for something, come back and I'll give you a discount. And that is a brilliant marketing strategy and, and also really important to um, engage people to come back, per- particularly for folks that are doing some kind of e-commerce. People don't know that cart abandonment rates are typically between 35 and 75%. And, and that's really common for people to know because, of course, we're all doing stuff in front of our computer, right? We add something to the, the cart and then the doorbell rings or somebody pops into your office or whatever. And so, um, you know, retargeting campaigns aren't intended to be, you know, evil and stalk you, but sometimes it feels that way. And it's also, they are really, um, it's really important to do because you do often. People who really are interested will get torn away. So... Good job, Kina. It sounds like you've hit on a lot of really important points. Thank you. And Allison, I think you were going to talk about some of the other pieces of of brand yeah. awareness just more generally outside of the paid paid advertising market. Yes, I wanted to um, 
to ask a few questions about like who your actual target is. I know that parents are a target, um, of course, and I didn't know if you were also looking at targets beyond parents um, for this, whether it's grandparents and aunts, and there's so many different ways to take a look at who might be the people that are purchasing um, this, this really cool gift for their children. Yeah, I'm really happy to talk about that, and I'm glad you brought it up. Part of our pivot, once we were trying to decide whether or not to move forward with seeking the investment that had fallen through or focusing on our ads, um, one of the things I did when we decided to focus on the ads is I built a couple of customer personas, about six of them. Mm-hmm. And I decided what their background was, what the demographics of that person would be, male, female, age, income, location. And then identifiers that include things like their demeanor, communication preferences. And yes, definitely our number one persona or ideal persona would be a STEM mother. So it's somebody whose background in science, some sort of relationship to STEM. It could be education as well. They're married. Mm-hmm. They usually have two kids. They have two female with an age range of 35 to 45 and a dual household income of like $140,000 or greater. This is like our perfect picture, ideal customer, if I could just go pick all these people. And Mm -hmm. their identifiers mean they would be like efficient and educated. They prefer email communication. They hate junk mail. And they read articles about good feminist gifts for their daughters. That's great. Um, So I I just wanted to, in general, like talk about like, you know, in reaching those audiences, you're you just are you you're only using your ads. One of the other things to really think about is you as a spokesperson um, for your your brand and your company itself, and how um, you can actually begin to connect personally. I think with um, a lot of your audience, maybe that's something you're already trying to do, but it's something that is that you could work on maybe in the future, is even in becoming more engaging with your customers um, as kind of the face of um, Stimbox. I'm very glad you mentioned that because one of the things that I initially when I started the company was really excited about doing was being that role model for girls because there's so few women in STEM for them to really look up to in the public eye. And I felt comfortable enough with my experience in education to say, I can be that person for girls. And from there, in the beginning, it was pretty easy to kind of step into that role and focus on being a spokesperson for the company that way. And as I became more and more entrenched in working on my working in my business rather, so doing the day to day grind of admin fulfillment, it was easy to kind of forget that and slip away from it. And so recently, as part of our focus for the new year on making the brand more solidified, getting the marketing more out there, um, one of the things I am trying to do is focus more on my role as spokesperson for the company. And so I think actually it was just last night, I um, opened my, you know, the feminist Instagram account. We have a STEM box account, which is very focused on women in STEM. But I thought it would be really fun to show girls what it's like to do my job and what it's like to run a company on a very daily basis with this new account. That's exciting and that's great to hear. And I think that, that, that approach might actually be successful. And this is a really, and I just want to jump in again and just say, it is so important to have a really clear persona like that. So kudos to you for having put that together. I know I talked to a lot of our clients about how important it is to really know your client avatar. And part of that is because it does allow you to do targeting within 
Facebook or anywhere else really well. I mean, your copywriting is all around talking to your, you know, ideal client and so forth. And so I just want to highlight how big a deal that is, because I think too many small companies don't take the time to really hone in on who their ideal client is and, and really, you know, work on their messaging so that it's, it's really focused. So that's wonderful. I'm really glad to hear that. And this is Allison, and I just wanted to add that I think one of the, since it's just you working on this, that it's also important to find ways to consolidate and to use the content that you create in the most efficient way possible. And, you know, maybe something that was created for Facebook can also be repurposed on Instagram, or if you were working on a personal blog, you know, you can find ways to interpurpose um, your, your content so that you're not um, overwhelmed with having to create unique things for each uh, channel. I love that you, yeah, that is something I've struggled with is the over, the sheer overwhelming amount of different channels that I could use to spread our message and figuring out not necessarily how to recycle, but how to upcycle those different pieces of content. Because we do spend money on making all of our videos that detail how the boxes are made and how they're supposed to be used. And I don't want that money to go to waste, but I don't want it to be the same thing on every single one of our channels. I want it to be a different style a different perspective on those channels mm-hmm. if that makes sense mm-hmm. no, it does it does and, and I think that you I'm sure that you can find ways to do that um, see, especially with you know Instagram being so visual and you, video can be repurposed there um, you know I do, I do think that's, a, that's something to look at so just so that you don't become overwhelmed and you can find ways to use what you are all you already have um, while still producing new content um, for your channels Mm-hmm. Keena, I understand that Stembox was endorsed by Melinda Gates, and I know you mentioned that early, um, early in the show. And she endorsed you uh, in on your journey journey when you first got started, soon after your initial Kickstarter um, success two years ago. As you know, consistent PR is critical. And let's discuss a few strategies as you refocus your time and try to get in front of the right audience. Yeah, it's great. Um, uh, I saw that you had so much, this is Allison, I saw that you had so much um, great media coverage, like you said, at your launch. And, you know, it was a variety of coverage on the company itself, profile pieces on yourself and Stimbox and product reviews. And so it sounds like you had um, some consistent media going, but it also sounds like maybe it was a little bit organic. Was there a big push on your part um, proactively doing outreach at that time, or was most of the media coverage organic because it was, you know, just a really cool project at the right time with the right endorsements? And can you give me a little more background there? For sure. When we started the Kickstarter campaign, we had put together a landscape of people we wanted to reach out to and to help us broadcast our campaign. And that was the biggest push for press, I think, that happened in the company's history. Um, because everything that happened afterwards, with those smaller blogs writing about us, it got picked up by bigger entities that had more broadcasting power. And so after and during that Kickstarter campaign, a lot of it became very organic. We were receiving a lot of inbound requests from different podcasts or blogs or people like MTV News or Melinda Gates tweeting about our Kickstarter campaign. And that went on for quite a while. Um, 
is how we got one of our first sponsorships with Clorox, and it's how Melinda Gates put us on a gift guide. I was one of three gifts for kids okay. to receive in the 2015 gift season, and figuring out how to make that happen every year would be amazing. <laughs> but yeah, it's well, interesting to see that happen. That's great, and I think that it sounds like you did all a lot of the right things. And like you said, there's going to be annual opportunities for things like gift guides, which are so key. And the thing about media outreach for gift guides is they, it starts much earlier than you might realize, especially if you want to find your way into a long lead magazine. You're talking potentially j- even June or July um, when folks are starting to review products that are going to be in a you know December issue or November issue of a like a, a you know print magazine, um, so I think some of the simple things you could put together are editorial calendars. Um, you know, a lot of magazines share that information publicly, what the topics are going to cover. I mean, you, as you as you look at the sites and the places where you'd like to see Stembox, noticing who's writing the stories on, you know, girls empowerment and you know, techno- girls and technology in, in these areas and um, just taking note as you read the articles who these people are and reaching out to them, telling them your story and sharing your product with them, um, you know, and also kind of taking an approach of who are the media audiences. You know, there's a corporate business story, a pro- like a profile story then and now. You know, like you said, you're starting to tell it yourself on um, on your Instagram, but that's also might be an interesting story to tell to the right business outlet, you know, th- what's going on, your struggles and your successes and um, what your what your goals are, um, and um, I think those are some really and then also thinking about when I say editorial calendars, not just what people are already writing about, but what are the moments in time that make sense, um, you know, for you to kind of like share your perspective on if it's like International Women's Day or maybe math related holidays, Pi Day, and doing fun content on your site um, and in your social channels on those days and kind of making every sure everything can tie together to um, get the word out about your product. And this is Zena. Another thing you can do is look for trends. And I think uh, Allison kind of t- touched on this. Uh, when I, uh, whenever I have a client, I always look for the trends that would could pr- relate back to what they're doing. Um, for example, this month, um, next week they're releasing um, the black Panther movie. Uh I know someone who was involved in that project, so I'm going to link that back to the Black Panther and then connect it all through, you know, Black History Month. So you look for those type of trends so that you can pitch that reporter when you see that story and say, hey, I can offer some more um, information or another, perhaps another story for you to write uh, as a continuation. So you should start looking for those type of trends and also look at how the reporters are writing each story. And Try to get to know them. Try to send them, you know, information about Stembox. And don't expect anything right away. However, they'll know who you are. And then once you start developing those relationships, they'll be willing to, you know, they'll think about it. Like, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, that Stembox. Yes, I need to write a story about that. Or I can include it in this story or quote you in a story that they're currently writing. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I'll mention, Kina, is that you're already doing some of this stuff. Right. I mean, Allison was talking earlier about repurposing. Um, I know that you had told us that you put stories in each of the STEM box already about how, um, you know, the girls are using the STEM box. I mean, the fact that you have a new box every month 
right? The subscription itself, what's in the box itself, that's your story, that you have a brand new story every single month. You've got all of those pieces, all of those components. Um, you have all these users, you have, you know, a parent group. You have so many wonderful stories that you can tell. So, you know, really use what you've already got and you're already putting together because, yeah, what you have is really, really powerful. And so sometimes we, if we are kind of in the groove, we overlook what we're already doing, right? So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's a great point. I always am trying to think, what's the new angle that Stembox can ever pitch to Pratt? Because then just, I feel like we've been doing the same thing forever. And then I always forget we're doing something new every month that's a different topic for girls to explore and learn about that they don't typically get to explore. That's right. And, you know, there's also ways that, that you can start, you could publish your own articles as well um, as you start to build your own um, kind of like expert profile. That's another thing to consider is doing contributing articles um, yourself on the topic. And um, I would also encourage you like to, you know, to the extent you have girls who want to write, have them write some articles or have them put something on your YouTube channel. Because, you know, particularly as parents, as a parent of a young girl myself, I'm always moved by, oh, let me see if my daughter would get involved in something like this. So, um, yeah, let, let your let some of your customers, your, you know, raving fans speak for you, too. Yeah. I know Vizina always says that. <laughs> <laughs> And I was also going to add, you know, we're thinking big, but there probably are some smaller grassroots things that you could do um, that are local to where you are that might even help um, build a larger story. If, you know, you talk about partnering, maybe you're not yet partnering with Girl Scouts of America nationally, but maybe there's a way to partner with a local troop and then use that as you go into discussions about a partnership with a larger um, entity or, you know, PTA meetings at schools local to you and then in the counties near you to like get the awareness out about the product or the program. Um, I know that sounds a little bit, you know, it is grassroots, but, you know, every little bit helps and awareness helps. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. Kina, you, you'd mentioned that you participate on that note in, in terms of partnerships and, and speaking. You mentioned that you participated in a few speaking engagements to include a hosting or hosting a hackathon for Stembox at a large software vendors conference previously. Can you briefly share that event and what you were able to accomplish? Definitely. The one that you mentioned is the Microsoft Inspire event in Washington, D.C., and we had gotten in touch with one of their representatives for Partnership Network, and they loved what we were doing. They liked Stembox and they liked the message. So they invited Stembox and me to come out to D.C. and give a talk about inspiring the next generation of feminists. And after that event, after that talk, to host a hackathon where we could source box ideas from some of the top tech minds in the country. So we set up a little booth and we started pulling people off of the conference floor and asking them, just write down whatever would have inspired you as a kid to get into STEM that you think would make a great STEM box. And what we came away from with that uh, event was about three really cool ideas that I all have here in my desk um, about what these brilliant people would have liked to see that would have gotten them into STEM or what would get their daughters and sons into it. And uh, from that, another nice email list that would be really great to happen to and get more ideas or use them as customers, something. But that's where we are with that. Yeah. And I want to discuss your desire to identify uh, sponsorships, like you mentioned with Clorox earlier, on a yearly basis. But I want to also 
I've been taking a, a bunch of notes and I know you and I have talked before, but you know, when you mention your persona, that's me, right? So I was sitting here like, oh my goodness, that, that is absolutely who I am. A woman in STEM, married with two kids, um, you know, salary range, the desire to expose my daughter uh, to uh, science, technology and math and, and really wanting my daughter to be a STEMinist. What you said about the emotional connection to STEM resonated with me even more. And I'll just share, you know, my daughter is 10 um, and she loves, you know, making things. She loves potions. We have an area of our house where, I mean, there's borax and everything you can name she has. And actually this year she's in fifth grade. um, You know, we've gone back and forth with our science teacher who mentioned to me that Nyla does not like science. And as a mom, you know, one, it was frustrating to hear because I see her creating these things, but I, I recognize she's a kinetic learner, right? And so I think your your box will resonate with a child like that who wants to do something. Uh, and I think that emotional connection is important, uh, you know, kind of teaching them that they can create. And science is about you know, creativity and innovation and not always about memorization. Uh, and so I'll talk, uh, we'll talk offline with you a little bit about um, some ideas that I have, um, but also as a woman who spent 20 years in tech um, and now dedicating my time to help build and train and mentor and employ more women and people of color in technology, this product resonates with me. Um, so I want to go back to uh, your Microsoft. So as you adjust your approach with this time, I- I'd like you to think about revisiting that data you collected during the event and following up with Microsoft. Um, you know, we've everyone knows that there is an issue with the quote unquote pipeline in tech. And again, I think it's part of the emotional connection to STEM, providing opportunity and companies really partnering differently to expose kids earlier and maybe look at pipelining at an earlier age. Uh, And so you can really, you know, uh, reach back to Microsoft, maybe pick two or three of the ideas that uh, were presented to you, uh, viable ideas and, you know, see if Microsoft will be willing to sponsor or co-develop or co-brand a box with you. Um, we mentioned Microsoft only because you were at that event, but I'm sure there are tons of large vendors, uh, medium-sized vendors that would love to partner with you. Um, and the other thing is, you know, in terms of the box that it comes monthly, the customer experience needs to be a wow experience, right? And so, you know, Allison, I kind of want you to chime in here just on, you know, what Kina can think about as she starts to create more of an exciting user experience for the girls, their moms, maybe science teachers, and others who are considered uh, customers. Um, I think that the user experience, I mean, I think it's all about, um, you know, the doing. Everyone wants to experience um, the product. So I think as more demonstrations, making sure that um, it's easy to use, easy to figure out. Um, it sounds like you're already doing those things. Um, I think, you know, I'm sure you have sample boxes that you can bring and present. Um, but I think because it's such a, uh, it is an action-oriented product that still images don't do it justice, that video needs to be your main um main form of demonstrating, like, you know, what this product is all about and why it's so fun. And, um, you know, I actually, I think you already have endorsements, but like getting like, like kids, I think someone was saying earlier, um, your, your actual customers, the children, um, if their parents allow them to provide endorsements or, um, share at least a verbal endorsement, that would be helpful. Um, and I think that, um, just making sure that it's very visual, every the box is visual, that you're, content is visual um, is the way to go. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
Yeah, and, and uh, you know, um, maybe we can, again, brainstorm a little bit offline because I'm, I'm thinking just about the pipeline issues, and I know that a lot of large software companies want to get their products. You know, we talk about Amazon, um, you know, we're, there's blockchain technology coming out. Um, you know, different vendors want to get kids using their products and understanding them, again, so that they can pipeline them. So there might be an opportunity for you, again, in terms of partnerships to, you know, create and co-develop boxes with some of those software vendors. Yeah, I would really like to see that happen in the next couple of months, maybe years, but <laughs> those always take a while. But yeah, I'm definitely interested in those kinds of partnerships. What, who do you think would be an ideal partner at this time? Um, I have a couple in mind. Um, well, one that I've had in mind for a while is Dove. Um, they do a lot of, this is more about the, female empowerment angle. They do a lot of that kind of work and outreach. And one of our upcoming box themes is shampoo. Um, and it may sound super frilly and girly, but there's actually a lot of chemical properties to determine with shampoo. So pH, viscosity, um, the density of the foam, the suds it creates can all indicate different things about shampoo and its value to you as a consumer. And so I think translating something like shampoo into a science experiment would be a wonderful thing for girls to do and for a brand like Dove who empowers women to really get behind and support. Um, that's one that I've had in mind forever, but there's also a lot of other things. Like we could do a science of color box and work with Crayola on it, or we could do something with um, like any chemistry box really would be a great fit for Kemen, which is a local tech company or science company here and Fisher Scientific, United Scientific. The list goes on. But it's a matter of getting in touch with the right people. And also, from my perspective, what I see as a, as a hurdle for those companies to want to participate with us is our size. We're still relatively small to them, and the investment it would take to reach that small number of customers, which is about 700 a month, um, they may think that they can go buy cheaper somewhere else and find a bigger group of girls. And so it's chicken and eggs for me. It's, I could have a really great partnership with somebody like Dove and make it available for my 700 customers but and grow my company to get that brand validity behind it. But Dove may want to see my company have a couple thousand subscribers before they want to come on board and help out, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Well, and Kina, I know you and I have talked also um, previously about other kinds of, you know, industry associations that might be relevant, right? I mean, one of the groups that comes to mind for me would be um, <coughs> the Society of Women Engineers, for example, or, you know, other kinds of groups that really focus on either women or people of color in STEM fields. And so, um, you know, there's some, some interesting, you know, possible um, growth opportunities and partnerships as Christina always likes to say there too. And, and yeah, I mean, you've, you've been really creative, I think in, in leveraging the relationships you have so far and figuring out how just to kind of double down on sales. And there might be some really interesting growth potential in those directions. Yeah. To, to piggyback on that, Kina, I think one thing to remember is that even though, um, you know, you might not have the numbers yet, you know, from the business side. When it comes to your social presence, you could work on that and building that up and building that out. And that, that perception of your company 
as having, you know, however many, you know, thousands of followers could really help improve. Um, I think a lot of companies do look at those things, look at the Yelp reviews and look at different elements um, of your social media channels to determine, you know, how the company is doing and if they would want to partner with them. So I think that is going to be social media and the channels is going to be a really important place to focus um, in this next stage as well. Yeah, and, and, and to um, both Allison and Aurelia's point, I think, you know, w- one, it's value proposition, and I think you're working on on that messaging. Uh, the second is your key differentiator from, you know, other, uh, uh, your co- competitors and others in the space. And I think part of that, that differentiator needs to be that user experience. And so Aurelia brought up a good point in terms of, you know, industry other industri- industry partners like Society of Women Engineers, Women in Tech, girls in tech, black girls who code. I mean, there's a number of them. And I think part of it is prioritizing uh, which ones that may have this a similar value uh, that you have and that you can you know, connect with them. Uh, you know, conferences are huge. One of the dreams I have as a mom, um, woman in tech, a business owner, uh, and someone dedicated to this is if I do go to a, a large conference, can I bring my daughter? And can she have an experience similar to mine, but different? Um, and so maybe there's something that you can do in partnering with conferences where there's a component for children where they are making their own shampoo or they, you know, um, they're making, you know, their own lotions or whatever it is. You can, I'm sure you can be creative and innovative in that area. Um, but I think, you know, sitting down and prioritizing and thinking through how you can enter the market or re-enter the market with that user experience differentiator, uh, I, I think the sky's the limit on this one. Mm-hmm. I agree, and I'm really excited. I think there's a lot of conferences out there right now that are speaking to girls and women in STEM, and to reach beyond that and try and find the ones that are just maybe women in STEM. So, like you mentioned, adults and trying to figure out how STEMOX can cater to their daughters and make it a mother-daughter or father-daughter experience would be really, really cool. Yeah, or or a family experience, and maybe mm-hmm. that's something you can think about as well in getting the kids involved with you know, videotaping you can have a family challenge or, or something like that i know my family would enter it <laughs> um, so i mean I, I yeah i think you've got you've got a lot here go ahead allison oh no just gonna add it was brainstorming that i know it's an online business but is there a way to have the product you know in a store or in a museum store um at the, you know the california science center or the lawrence hall of science or exploratorium and then the box you purchase the box with the opportunity to um, with the with the opportunity to subscribe or a way to get a hard copy in front of people, you know, hard example. That's the thought I had. I don't know how hard it would be to get them into museums, stores, or things like that. But it was just a thought. No, I actually think that's yeah, a great that's idea. idea. Uh, and. I'm sure right there in your own area, you can start there. You can start in your local area and then start to branch out to get that box in some of those places that um, Allison just mentioned. So look locally. And I know we talked about the editorial calendar. So I know we've given you a lot of information here. So maybe just pick, you know, one or two goals that you like to reach um, that week and just keep that editorial calendar with the reporters. You know, you have your social media, we're talking about partnerships, and then also trying to get that box in different 
um, museums and stores where people can actually physically see it. So, you know, try to arrange all this where you're doing something every day to lead up to that. Cause I know you're a solopreneur and I get that cause I'm one too. And I know how hard that is to try to keep track of all these things. So that's what I do. I have a, you know, a calendar where I'll look at and I try to, you know, make sure I hit those key points. So that might help you along the way until you get additional help. Mm-hmm. So we're going to wrap up. This was a great discussion. And Keena, I just want to, you know, are there any questions that you have for us that we, we, you know, we haven't answered for you that you'd like to address? Um, I don't think so. But yeah, I don't think so at this point. I think that we have a lot of stuff that I can go and work on and use to improve my business and our range of access to different customers and I'm really excited to get started on all of it absolutely and again just congratulations on the move and congratulations for sticking with your concept and and continuing with the business sometimes it can it can be hard you know especially when we're expecting to get a certain amount of funding and we don't get it so bravo for you for kind of just taking a step back readjusting um you know, and reaching uh, to people to, to provide you more advisory support and moving forward. And we look forward to partnering with you um, as you kind of think through some of these ideas and prioritize. Um, Allison, on your end, is there anything else that you want to add um, for Kina? Um, no, I think we've covered so many things. I would hate to throw one more thing onto, um, into, your <laughs> into the mix, but I did have one more thought about awards is something to consider. I don't know if you've thought about submitting um, Stembox for toy awards, best toy awards, you know, Dr. Toy, best pick from Dr. Toys, those kind of things. I think moms look at that. So it's another idea of um, something to a goal for this year. That's a great idea. But I think you're on the right track, and I think you have a, a lot of great material, and I'm so excited to see how things turn out. Thank you so much. And I'm, again, just so excited that women like you are supporting the kind of work that entrepreneurs like myself are trying really hard to get off the ground, and this kind of feedback is not easily accessible all the time. And so it's definitely very welcome and very appreciated on my end. So, Kina, how can we find you? You can find the Stembox online at mystembox.com. We're on Facebook. You can link us up there. We're on Twitter at Stembox, and we're on Instagram at mystembox. And if you want to follow my new Instagram account to see the day-to-day happenings of uh, Chief Executive Feminist, you can go to Tina the Feminist on Instagram. Well, just so, so you know, we are, we, we are all cheering for you and we are, you know, we're here to support you however we can. And um, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. It's been super fun talking to you ladies and learning more about what I could be doing. Great. So today we discussed um, the thing was how to re- redirect activities after a potential lead investor pulls out. When you and as Keena mentioned, when you ha- when you don't have a lead investor anymore, um, you start to become concerned that other uh, funders will pull out as well. And so Keena was great about pivoting. So because she her she has a passion and she wants young girls to create a 
an emotional connection to STEM. And she is becoming a role model for these young girls. And as I mentioned to you earlier, um, I wish I had her as a, a role model when I was a young girl because, you know, my, like I said, my dad was an engineer and I just didn't, I just, it just never crossed my mind. And um, so I, I have to commend you for restructuring and moving forward with sales, coming up with that idea. And then, uh, you know, Aurelia touched on Facebook ads, uh, the difference between, you know, you know, having a unique Facebook algorithm and targeting and training um, algorithms properly and distinguishing, distinguishing campaigns on Facebook between likes and clicks and um, the conversion to buy and retargeting campaigns. I, I really said a lot there. So I learned a lot um, <laughs> Facebook ads. Um, targeting the right audience and interpurposing content. All this content that, you know, Kina has, she can repurpose it and use it in other areas. We talked about um, storytelling, grassroots partnerships, and we ended on awards. So as I said, mentioned earlier, we had a lot to unpack and you know, once again, thank you for listening to our show. Please follow us on getfoundgetfunded.com. We're also on Instagram at getfound underscore getfunded. And we are also on Twitter at getfound underscore funded. So please, please, please follow us. And Allison, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. It was nice to have another person who's in communications on the show. So thanks for adding those additional thoughts. Of course. I was really excited to be here and can't wait to see what happens with um, Kina and her business. Great. Thank you.